Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is David Garofalo, who is an experienced C-suite executive in the precious metal space and company chairman and CEO of many companies, including Marshall Precious Metals Fund, Great Panther Mining Limited, Gold Mining Inc., and more recent appointment with Gold Royalty Corp. He's also the former president and CEO of Gold Gold Corp, where most of our listeners probably recognize you from. Um, David has 30 years experience in the creation and growth of multi-million dollar sustainable mining businesses across multiple continents and has many, won many awards for his work. Um, I want to get David on the podcast um, to get his insight on running and leading a successful precious miner and the lessons he took away from, from working for obviously Gold Corp. Um, and how he's implementing these these lessons that he's learned into his uh, into his work now. So I'd like to welcome David to the podcast. How are you doing, David? I'm well, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I appreciate your time. Um, you're over in Canada at the moment. It's early in the morning, so I really appreciate your time uh, in in doing this podcast. Pleasure. Um, so just want just wondered if you can give the audience um, for especially for the, some of the people that don't know don't know you, but I'm sure most of the audience does, um, do, does know of you. I just wanted to give us a little bit of a background of your uh, career from when you um, sort of graduated and your journey um, to where you are today, and maybe something that people may not know about you. Sure. Um, well, I started as a commerce grad from the University of Toronto, my, uh, my native city, living in Vancouver now, and uh, then completed my chartered accountancy designation in the late 1980s and joined InMet Mining uh, shortly after I IPO'd from Mattel Gesellschaft and spun out uh, of that conglomerate and worked there for eight years during my formative uh, period in the mining space, really learned the industry from the ground up, worked with a very, very accomplished executive, Richard Ross, who subsequently became the CEO of InMet for for 10 years. Um, During that period, I actually joined Ignico Eagle as CFO, worked with another accomplished C-suite executive in Sean Boyd, who to this day remains the CEO of Ignico. And he and I, Yves Shirkus, worked together for 12 years to build Ignico from a single mine producer to a seven mine company with um, north of $10 billion market cap. And um, immediately after that, uh, I took on a CEO role myself, uh, Hud Bay Minerals, uh, another base metal producer, went back to Pace Metals after 12 years in Precious, ran that company for about six years where we built three mines. And then uh, subsequent to that, joined Gold Corp and uh, ran that until we completed successful merger with Newmont in 2019. Yep. And then obviously you left Gold Corp. So I, want, I do want to speak, uh, cover a little bit about Gold Corp. And then when you left Gold Corp, I take it when the merger, merger happened. Um, That's right. Yeah. And then obviously you had more recent appointments now with some of the companies that I mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just before I go on to what's more, more um, current, 
how did you first of all get the job at Goldcorp? Um, and what were your expectations when you joined and sort of did you achieve what you were tasked to, tasked to actually do? Well, I, I was actually recruited by Ian Telfer and, and Ken Williamson, who were both on the board. Ian, as, as chairman, Ken uh, was was on the board, long tenured board member of uh, Gold Corp and an old friend of mine. Um, and at the time, Chuck Janess, who was a CEO, was about to retire. Um, that was not known to the market. And so Ken and, and Ian put an effort out to recruit me away from Hype Bay. And, and then I joined in early 2016 and took over the company. Yeah. Okay. And did you, obviously when you joined there, did you have certain expectations um, to what you were, obviously as, as the, the CEO, did you have certain expectations that you had to achieve and did you over, overachieve them, obviously during the course of your time there? Well, my expectation is I, I had inherited um, a well-diversified gold producer uh, uh, focused on the Americas, but multiple operations. Um, what I hadn't expected, and this was a dynamic that was um, occurring across the industry, is how difficult and challenging it was to replace the reserves we were depleting. Uh, they were declining rapidly, uh, and we didn't have a very robust pipeline uh, to replace uh, what we were depleting on a daily basis from our existing operations. And if you looked across the sector at the time, reserves were down by about 30 to 40% uh, in the ensuing, or the, sorry, the, the previous three or four years across the industry. So it was a dynamic that really was playing out in the sector generally because there hadn't been a lot of money reinvested back in exploration to replace depleting resources. And really what was behind that is during the last gold rally 10 years ago when gold achieved $1,900 an ounce, there was a rapid escalation in cost structures across the industry. It undermined the leverage proposition investors were looking for. So investors rightfully were demanding returns of capital. That meant cutting costs at the mine sites to expand margins as the gold price corrected. Uh, but also that meant that exploration efforts at mine sites and uh, further afield were undermined. And so the industry just simply was not replacing what it was depleting because the exploration effort wasn't there as the focus was on dividends and returning capital to shareholders. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned obviously cutting costs at mine sites. Was there any particular areas that you did cut costs or was it dependent upon each mine? Well, I, I think Gold Corp had done an exceptional job of, uh, achieving scale through M&A, uh, what we were trying to introduce was a sustainable operating culture, and that meant continuous improvement. There really wasn't a continuous improvement within uh, sort of program within Gold Corp to attack operating costs on a daily basis uh, to compensate for, at the time, was a deteriorating gold price environment. And so our margins were being squeezed. And so we introduced a program uh, to achieve sustainable cost efficiency of $250 million per annum from our existing portfolio of operations. And we did achieve that uh, over the course of the first two years that I was in the role. And what made sort of Gold Coat so successful uh, for Newmont to sort of buy you for, for $10 billion? Yeah, no, I, I think it was that, that, um, uh, that corporate strategy of growing through acquisition. Um, Gold Corp went from a single mine company when Rob McEwing was running it uh, simply off the Red Lake mine, which was a high grade mine, a great foundational asset in Northern Ontario. And then when Ian Telfer came in and, and merged it with, uh, with Wheaton River and took over as CEO, he went on to buy uh, additional assets, including Placer Dome Canada, 
to achieve uh, and, and glamorous to achieve significant scale and relevance in the marketplace. Um, scale is important. Liquidity is important for large institutional investors, particularly generalists um, who may not be in the sector for the long term, but need that kind of liquidity to get in and out of stocks more readily and uh, even achieve that scale through large scale M&A. Yeah. And what were some of the major challenges you faced at the, obviously being at the helm of Gold Corp and how did you overcome these? Um, obviously, I take it cost was one of them that you mentioned, but was there sort of any other challenges? Yeah, certainly depleting reserves uh, yeah. was a significant challenge. Uh, the reserves at Gold Corp had deteriorated quite significantly in the, the years just prior to my joining. So we had to reorient our exploration efforts. Um, and and start to reinvest back um, in mine site exploration or place depleting reserves around our existing industrial complexes. But we also had to introduce some new, some new um, uh, pipeline projects into the portfolio so that we could sustain our production longer term. And, you know, we acquired uh, the Nueva, no, sorry, excuse me, the Norte Abierto project in Chile, which added a substantial mineral endowment um, in the Maracunga district um, in, in that country. We also acquired the coffee project in the Yukon. So with those two additions, we suddenly had a significant pipeline to replace depleting reserves from our existing more mature operations, particularly in Canada. Yeah. Um, I want to sort of obviously the gold court was uh, is history, um, and obviously I want to sort of talk about more present day. Um, how have you found the transition from working with obviously a large structured company like Gold Court to sort of well, now working and being involved in a number of small entities and less bureaucracy, um, and I suppose more flexibility. Well, I made the conscious decision to to focus more on an entrepreneurial. Um, uh, strategy, personal strategy, personal development strategy. Uh, up to this point, my 30 years, I've been with four companies, all of them uh, eventually achieved significant scale. And so, um, you know, by their nature, became more bureaucratic, more structured. Uh, so really what I wanted to focus on was uh, small turnaround stories, startup opportunities. And so I, in, in the outset, got involved with the Marshall Precious Metal Fund because I've always been very passionate about investing in the ground and exploration. Um, in virtually all the companies I've been involved with in my career, we had small incubator funds that we invested in juniors, um, effectively outsourcing our grassroots exploration uh, in the hands of uh, uh, strong uh, exploration entrepreneurs in the junior space. Um, and so that uh, together with a Chinese partner, Zhaojin Mining in China, that provided our initial seed capital, we started investing in the junior space just as it caught fire earlier this year. Um, so yeah. we've been very, very fortunate at our timing. But we had that investment thesis that uh, the sector eventually would have to uh, retrain its sites on grassroots exploration or place was a rapidly depleting reserve base. And so that thesis has been borne out, and we're, we're quite excited about the, how the Marshall Precious Metal Fund. Um, has performed since we uh, we launched it earlier this year. Um, Great Panther came calling. I had some friends on the board there, and um, it, that was a classic operational turnaround story. Uh, I very much liked the Tucano mine that they had in Brazil. It bore a lot of resemblance to our Muscle White mine uh, that we had at Gold Corp in, in Northern Ontario. Similar geological setting, and like Muscle White, Tucana had been significantly underexplored uh, as it went through a succession of owners, you know, from Gold Corp to Bedell to ourselves. And operational optimization was the focus, cutting costs in a, a low gold price environment 
very little had been spent on exploration. And we, we turned that around and started to invest significantly in exploration around the mine site. And we're adding ounces appreciably uh, to what's already a reasonable reserve base um, while delivering very, very uh, solid operating results under Rob Henderson, our, our CEO, which, uh, who, who joined the company with me earlier in the year. And then um, recently, um, I joined uh, the board and became CEO of Gold Royalty Corporation. Uh, that currently is a private enterprise uh, within the gold mining uh, group of companies. It will eventually be spun out and br brought public. It has a collection of 14 royalties on 14 development stage projects within gold mining's portfolio. Gold mining is going to pivot towards uh, mine development or de-risking their projects through uh, advancing studies on them um, in terms of PAs, uh, pre-feasibility studies, feasibility studies, and as they de-risk those projects, that'll only enhance the value of the underlying royalties, which we intend to take public. And, and recently, I, I hired a chief development officer to focus on expanding that royalty portfolio, John Griffith who has uh, 30 years of experience with uh, Merrill Lynch, um, among other banks, and brought Ian Telfer uh, onto our advisory board, which was a coup for us, because he is the father of streaming. Um, he invented the, the streaming concept with wheat and precious metals, uh, which he spun out of Gold Corp about um, 15 years ago. Um, and that's become a, a huge success story and spawned a whole series of imitators in the space. Yeah. What, and what skills would you say you've brought to some of these companies, being in some of the obviously companies that you've worked for, like Deloitte and, and Gold Corp? Is there a particular obviously skill sets that you've brought that probably haven't already been in those organizations? Well, I, I think what I've brought is um, sustainable management practices. Um, I would say that uh, uh, Great Panther in particular went through some drama in the boardroom and management over the last several years. And we brought in a very, very solid operator and Rob Henderson. Rob's built a team around him, uh, very, very uh, solid operators, uh, financial people, uh, that have built sustainable and operated sustainable businesses in the past. So uh, we've done that and have also bolstered uh, the quality of the board uh, within Great Panther by bringing in Alan Hare, um, and my former chief operating officer, Hud Bay, and, and my um, successor as CEO uh, after I left to join Gold Corp. And, and Joe Gallucci, who joined the board and brings a lot of M&A expertise as we look to grow the business uh, through acquisition. Um, so really, I, I think what I bring is, is uh, management methodology experience and running sustainable operating businesses, building out mines. Um, I've been involved by my own count uh, in over a dozen mine constructions in my 30 years. Uh, so um, even though I am a person of um, a financial pedigree, I also have... Um, uh, been involved in the construction of many, many mines, and so do have that operational and development expertise that I can bring to the table. Yeah. Um, with obviously the, these four companies that you're involved in, um, I wonder if you can either give us an overview of all four companies or potentially focus a little bit more detail on one of them. Um, I'll leave that up to you, Eva, how you want to answer that. Yes, certainly. With Great Panther, what we have is a bit of a, a hybrid. Um, we have a silver business in Mexico. That's the legacy business that built Great Panther out 20 years ago when Bob Archer founded it. And, um, and silver is taking off. Um, the gold to silver price ratio right now is 70 to 1. In yeah. a bull market, typically it's 40 to 1. So it has the potential to significantly outperform gold, uh, even as gold is rising in its own right. And we have um, a business, a silver business that's been around for 100 years um, uh, in Mexico. And now that's been supplemented with a very, very strong 
uh, gold asset Tecano, which as I said earlier on, has significant expiration potential, but is generating significant free cash flow in its own right right now, given the current gold price environment with all in sustaining costs of about $1,000 to $1,100 per ounce. Uh, you can imagine significant margins that we're enjoying now from, from that business. Um, and so we do have the potential solid operating base that we think we can grow uh, through developing uh, our own pipeline projects, uh, Coracancha in Peru, for example, which is another s substantial silver resource that's uh, currently, um, it's, it's a legacy business. It's a brownfield project uh, that can be brought back online quite readily, uh, given that it already has its operating permits. But we do believe there's scope for consolidation within the mid-tier. And we've captured some of that currency over the last um, uh, last six months or so, and that gives us the potential to use that currency to supplement what's already a very strong operating portfolio. Uh, so that's the exciting uh, opportunity with Great Panther. And now with a sustainable and very experienced uh, operating team under Rob Henderson, who in his own right is a very, very solid operator, we have a much more stable operating platform, platform excuse me, much more predictable results which gives uh, investors comfort uh, that we're not going to surprise them um, and, and deliver solid operating cash flow that we can reinvest back into the ground. So that, that's the Great Panther story. I'm very, very excited about how quickly we've been able to turn around that operating story and, and the market's starting to reward us. Uh, gold royalty is an entirely different animal. The gold royalty business and, and streaming business is really, at the end of the day, a banking business. Um, Gold royalty and streamer streaming companies are accorded uh, very, very strong multiples in the, se the sector, uh, much more solid than what we see in, in sustainable operations, which means effectively they have a much lower cost of capital. And so a bit of an arbitrage game. They are effectively banks. We're able to draw capital from the market at much lower costs uh, than existing operators are. And then we can, in turn, uh, invest that in the ground in either development stage assets or operating assets that require some capital um, and uh, take advantage of that arbitrage to deliver very, very strong returns for our investors. Uh, with Gold Royalty Corp, unlike many uh, companies that uh, launch, we already have a solid platform from which to grow. We already have 14 underlying royalties. Uh, as we take that public uh, and, and, um, and uh, create that currency, we will use it to acquire more royalties, more streams, um, either existing streams and royalties on existing operations, or we'll look further afield at development stage assets that require a cheap source of capital to develop uh, precious metal, particularly gold um, opportunities uh, into operations. Um, so that, that's quite exciting as well. And it's very exciting that our parent company, Gold Mining, is pivoting more towards de-risking their 14 development stage assets and the value that can create uh, both for gold mining shareholders and gold royalty shareholders as we de-risk those assets, I think is immense, um, particularly uh, in the gold price environment that we find ourselves, where many companies are starved for development stage assets. And Amir Adnani, who founded Gold Mining, uh, was very, very prudent in acquiring those development stage assets at the bottom of the market for very little upfront capital. And so where those projects really were disdained in a local person environment in the bear market we experienced up until last year or so, those projects are going to become quite, more, quite a bit more desirable uh, for operating companies that are struggling to replace what they're depleting from their existing operations.
Yeah. And I talked about Marshall Precious Metals earlier earlier on, our investment thesis there. We haven't even started to raise outside capital. We've been very prudently allocating the capital that we were seeded with uh, from Zhao Jin and one other Hong Kong investor. We have 25 million US to start. Um, we haven't, uh, we haven't um, allocated all that capital yet. We've been very, very careful not to chase some of the juniors that have been running. And we've been prudently putting that capital to work in the ground through direct placement. So we're not buying in the market. We're trying to um, engender exploration on the ground. And so we're putting that money directly with um, accomplished uh, explorers uh, within these junior vehicles that have rational exploration plans uh, to build out resource bases um, in established um, gold jurisdictions. And so, so that's an exciting opportunity as well. So I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I've been able to uh, develop um, a portfolio uh, of professional opportunities for myself, really looking across the broad spectrum um, in in the life cycle of mines, uh, from early stage exploration to op development to operations um, with all of these vehicles that I'm involved in now. Yeah. Um, with the majority of our listeners uh, are from the mining industry, um, if any of them were looking to sort of invest in, in companies, what's the main difference investing in a royalty company compared to a mining company and I suppose what are the risks and rewards and the differences between the royalty company and a one-off or one mining company obviously mining companies are different but what, what would you say the main differences are if someone had a pot of money and they wanted to invest in one company what's the difference between investing in a royalty company as opposed to one mining company? Well, I would say that if you were looking to invest in the precious metal space, uh, I would diversify your portfolio and really buy a little bit of everything. I would okay. buy the early stage opportunities that have the potential to deliver 10 to 20 fold increases in your capital base through successful exploration efforts. You're not going to get that kind of leverage within the more established royalty and producers, uh, yeah. producing companies. Uh, they, they just don't provide that kind of potential for explosive growth and value uh, that a significant discovery can make. Albeit, that's a much higher uh, risk proposition. It's probably the highest risk proposition in the value creation equation of the mining space. It can be a bit of a lottery. And in fact, when we buy a portfolio of juniors within our Marshall Precious Metal Fund, uh, you know, what we found is one to two out of 20 are ultimately successful, uh, given the, the, the uh, uh, speculative nature of exploration. Um, even the best, smartest explorers and prospectors get it wrong most of the time. Um, yeah. And so you have to have a fairly well diversified portfolio. I wouldn't try to pick juniors on your own. I would look for um, funds like Marshall that have a history of doing this, that have people on staff. I have Mark Prefontaine um, as my chief operating officer at Marshall, and he's an accomplished prospector and exploration, having built and sold two companies uh, to, to more senior uh, producers in the space successfully. So you need somebody with that kind of track record. And even Mark, as successful as he is, gets it wrong most of the time. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the game. So it's really important to have a diversified portfolio. And and, and I would say, you know, you want to own a, a royalty company that has a strong resource base. Um, within Gold Royalty Corp, we have 25 million ounces of 43101 resource within those 14 development stage projects that Gold Mining owns. So that gives us a solid foundation from which to grow a royalty business and give us a low cost of capital 
that we can then draw from the market and redeploy uh, into um, either established operators or development stage opportunities. So that gives you uh, a bit of almost a, a financial exposure uh, to the mining sector rather than just operational exposure. And with operating companies, um, I, I would say you're looking for companies with stable cost bases in low political risk jurisdictions. Uh, because uh, the mining business is risky enough, um, it's capital intensive, it's operational risky, uh, operationally risky. So you don't want to exasperate that risk profile by ne- unnecessarily taking on a lot of political risk or social risk uh, that a lot of um, a lot of these projects and operations have. Um, and so I, I'd say you want a diversified portfolio across those three types of opportunities and, and uh, buying a little bit of each gives you the kind of exposure you need um, in the gold sector, in my view. Yeah. Um, so what, what's the future of mining in general? Um, and especially with what is happening in the world today with obviously new working environments, um, plus the potential uh, collapse of the monetary system as we know it. What do, how do you see the mining, mining industry as a whole moving forward? Um, well, I think it's going to be um, that much more difficult to get a social license to build out uh, what we have. Uh, I, I think it's going to be very challenging to reverse that downward trajectory in, in reserves and ultimately production in the sector, uh, just because it, it, the lead times to bringing new production on are just getting longer and longer. It's much more difficult to get permits, to get a social license to operate uh, in the environments that we have development stage projects. The cost structures are, are escalating. Uh, upfront capital costs are significant, which is challenging um, uh, rates of return, uh, hurdle rates which means that the incentive price for gold is going to be, have to be that much higher uh, for us in order to replace our, our reserves um, uh, with a reasonable rate of return. So it, it's going to continue to be a challenged environment for reversing the downward trajectory and reserves that we're currently experiencing, even in this rising gold price environment. We need much higher gold prices in order to incentivize uh, the kind of product, production um, inflection. Uh, that we need to, to reverse the downward trajectory in, in reserves and production in the sector. Yeah. Um, obviously, you said there's a lot of uh, depleted reserves out there. Is the answer putting more money into exploration? Or even if they put more money into exploration, are they necessarily going to come up with with the, the, the findings that they, in theory, should do? But are we too far behind the curve now to sort of catch up? Um, or is it going to take such a long time to um, to get back to probably where we were 10, 15, 20 odd years ago um, when there's probably a lot more projects about. So there's a saying in hockey, you'll excuse me because I'm Canadian. That's uh, right. Wayne, Wayne Gretzky came up with, he says, you, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Yeah. And um, so we do have to um, invest in exploration. There's a very, very strong correlation between dollars spent and reserves found on the ground, naturally. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if we're not uh, drilling, we're not going to find the reserves that we need. So we definitely have to re- deploy capital in a very significant fashion to replace the reserves that we're depleting uh, in the sector. That being said, um, the lead times are, are not going to decrease. They're only going to increase to go from discovery to first pour of, of uh, gold production. Um, and that, that is only increasing from, you know, back when I started in the industry, you could probably get a new mine up and running from discovery to um, uh, to production in 
five to seven years. I think that's more than doubled now across yeah. the industry. And in many cases, um, deposits go through multiple hands and multiple generations before they actually become economic. Um, and so they, they, they do tend to linger within portfolios um, and, and on the shelf for a long period of time before the ingredients are right, whether it's socially, economically, um, and whatnot, or there's been technological advances that bring these deposits back into play. Um, so, so no, we, we are increasingly challenged. Um, but, um, uh, as you point out, if you're not spending the money on expiration, you're going to find, uh, the ounces you need to replace what you're depleting. Yeah. And is there a way you think, do you think that you could actually speed up the process of obviously finding discovery and getting it, getting it moving quicker? I mean, it, I suppose the whole industry needs to change and this probably a, more on a global basis, but what things need to be done to try and speed up this whole process um, yeah. and get it back to where it was, if it does, if it took five to seven years to build a mine, how, what, what steps need to be taken to get back to that stage? Yeah, look, I would say uh, one of the most uh, challenging um, aspects of, of delineating reserves is th that early stage exploration, uh, generating uh, targets to drill. Um, the lead times from that historically have been quite long. Um, and what I've seen is a movement to digitize a lot of our exploration data in, in the mining sector. Um, when I was running Gold Corp, uh, we were partnering with IBM using their Watson computer on our Red Lake district. And we digitized almost 100 years of exploration information. A lot of that was just sitting on pieces of scraps of paper. Um, so we hadn't had it in, in a coordinated um, digitized setting. We, we spent a better part of two years digitizing all of that information. And we're using the predictive analytics um, and power of, of Watson to identify our exploration, next exploration targets. And in doing so, um, our thesis was that we could reduce the lead times um, in that generative phase by about 96 to 97%. That was the thesis. And uh, what we were trying to do was simulate the discovery of the initial red light deposit within Watson to see if actually um, in a controlled environment that worked. And it did. And then we were just starting to generate new exploration, high-grade exploration targets within that district to replace um, uh, a rapidly depleting deposit. And so that was uh, starting to bear some fruit. And so we need to do more of that in the sector. The technology exists. Mm -hmm. um, it hasn't been applied necessarily in a mining setting. Watson typically was using being used for medical diagnostics, uh, but there's no reason it couldn't be used in that kind of setting, um, uh, diagnostics for, for exploration. So we need to do more of that type of stuff uh, to delineate reserves more quickly because we know that the lead times, once we delineate those reserves to get the permits and get the social license are not decreasing. Those are just getting longer. So we need to find other areas, other bottlenecks that we can attack from a technical perspective and a technological perspective to help uh, compensate for the lead times, uh, increasing lead times we experience in, in um, social environmental issues. Mm. And I suppose with advances of technology, this should, should, I'll say it should be an easier thing to do with advances of technology, but I suppose it's merging everything together and bringing everything together and and working through that process and, and shortening those times because we've got the technology, we've got the people on the ground doing, doing this and it just needs to come together in a, in a I suppose, a, a, a quicker process and yeah, just 
Yeah, and, and, and a lot of this technology is, is not mining-specific technologies. Technology is available in society generally, and as an industry, we need to be more effective in adopting those technologies into the mining setting. Uh, when I was running Gold Corp, and this even predated my running Gold Corp, Chuck Janess introduced this concept. We had an event every year at PDAC called Disrupt Mining, and it was kind of a shark tank setup um, or format where we invited technology companies who thought their technology could be uh, adapted uh, into the mining sector and to come and make a presentation to a panel of judges. And if uh, they were successful, we would invest a million dollars into their company and give them a platform within one of our existing operations to test their technology out. Um, and they were not mining people at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. They had certain technologies they thought could be commercialized within the mining industry if they had a bit of seed capital and an opportunity to um, to test it within a controlled environment of an existing operation. Hmm. I've got a couple more questions before I wrap this up. Um, sure. What's the outlook for yourself, and sort of what do you want to achieve over the uh, over the coming years? Um, well, if I can help turn around the downward trajectory in reserves, and and this is by, by no means something I can do on my own, but I, there's a group of executives in this industry that recognize that, um, and I can do that through, as I said, uh, involvement in uh, a number of uh, companies within the life cycle across the spectrum of the life cycle of of, uh, of mining, and that would be incredibly gratifying for for me to crap up my career um, and and again do it in a much more entrepreneurial setting. And that's what I'm doing with these smaller, more startup vehicles or turnaround vehicles. They're smaller, but they have an opportunity to grow immensely um, through through a little bit of effort and, and some uh, capital investment. Yeah. Um, and lastly, if there was one person um, you would like to hear, hear from um, and be a guest on this uh, podcast, um, who, could you, who could you recommend? Who, who's someone that's got a good story to tell or an interesting background that could actually add value um, and for our audience to uh, to actually learn from and educate themselves. Well, well there are a few actually, um, all of whom I would characterize as my mentors. Um, <clears throat> Richard Ross, who who ran InMet for about ten years, and then he switched to academia. He runs the mining um, uh, program at the, the Schulich School of Business, the mining MBA program. He invented the mining MBA program. One didn't exist okay. before. Schulich pioneered it. Richard Ross. Uh, was the guy who retired from MinMet and turned his his mind to doing that and, and formulating this this um, uh, this program. So he's still quite active on the academic side after having spent you know cl close to thirty years running mining companies. A very very accomplished individual, Sean Boyd. Obviously, um, uh, Sean's uh, one of the longest serving CEOs in the gold business. Uh, I think twenty two years with with Ignico um, on this as CEO, but I think he's spent now thirty five years with the company. Um, spent his entire mining career there. Very, very accomplished guy. Obviously, what he's done with Ignico is remarkable, and that story would be um, would be very, very interesting for anybody to to, to hear. Um, and then, then Ian Telfer. I mean, uh, you know, the guy is is a legend in the mining business, um, and even um, in his seventies, um, he's still very, very active, intellectually active in the sector. Um, uh, obviously, active with me in a couple of vehicles, um, and and uh, still has a lot of value. Uh, to offer um, in the sector. He's just um, a very, very wise individual um, who's seen it all and done it all and built multiple companies to multi-billion dollar market caps, you know, including Gold Corp and Wheat and Precious Metals. Mm. 
there's certainly uh, three people I can uh, reach out to and uh, get get them on the podcast. So I uh, really appreciate that. Sure, um, David, really appreciate your time and uh, providing uh, obviously a lot of content, a lot of value, and I'm sure our listeners will um, will take a lot from that. If any of our um, audience wants to reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? And are you on any uh, social media platforms? Yeah, the only social media platform I'm on is LinkedIn. Um, yeah. And uh, that'd be probably the best way to reach out to me. I'd, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Yeah. And um, is there an email address that anyone can contact you or just go everything through LinkedIn? LinkedIn would probably be the best way. Yeah. Okay, Thank no worries. You. Really appreciate your time, David. Um, Thanks, Rob. Certainly gave a lot of content, and I'm sure our audience uh, will take a lot away from this. And the people that are listening, um, if you feel that uh, this content is uh, really good and someone could uh, take advantage of listening to uh, <coughs> David, appreciate if you can share this um, episode to your friends, family, colleagues, um, so they can obviously gain the knowledge that you've just gained as well. So really appreciate your time, David. Um, Thank you very much. And um, yeah, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.